Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor Study. Let me tell you a story. One day, a Pharisee, a religious Jewish leader, and the Pharisees don't like Jesus, invites Jesus to dinner. Jesus goes. He's sitting in house at the table, and a prostitute from the city hears that Jesus is in that house. She sneaks in, she goes down to Jesus' feet, she starts to cry, and she wets Jesus' feet with her tears, and she uses her hair to dry his feet. Then she takes a bottle of perfume and pours the perfume on Jesus' feet. Simon the Pharisee thinks, huh, if Jesus was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman that is. He wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus says, Simon, I want to tell you a story. A money lender had two debtors. One owed him 50, one owed him 500. Neither could pay, so he forgave them both. Which of those two men are going to love the money lender more? Simon said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus said, that's right. I came into your house. You didn't give me water for my feet. She's been weeping on my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. She's been kissing my feet. You didn't give me oil for my head. She's been wiping my feet with perfume. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. We know that because she loves me much. But he was forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And some of the Pharisees start to grumble, well, who does Jesus think he is forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's the story. The day Jesus forgave the prostitute. What I want to do for this program, let's go back through the story, learn all that we can for our personal lives from this story. Would you open your Bible to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, and let's pray first. Father, we want to pray for anyone who may be watching this program who thinks they are too sinful to be forgiven. Oh Lord Jesus, we pray that you open that person's heart and ears to hear what you want to say to them right now. And for us, Lord, who are believers and followers of Christ, Teach us what it means to have a deep love for you. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter, 20, chapter 7, starting at verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees, Jewish religious leaders, was requesting Jesus to dine with him, and Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Here's the first lesson. Be open to difficult invitations. Jesus knew the Pharisees were hostile to him. He went to dinner with them anyway. You know, now and then I might get a, a phone call, Pastor Tom, my atheist uncle is dying. Would you come to the hospital and talk to him about Christ? Or I got a, a call from one of my neighbors, Pastor Tom, the, the lady in the townhouse next to me, I've been ministering to her, but would you come and talk to her about Christ? And I said, you know, get her permission, say, say, is it okay if the pastor comes? And I'll come. 
Do I get nervous in those situations? I do. <laughs> but I try to go anyway because people might get saved. So be open to a difficult invitation. Let's look at verse 37. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a, a sinner, probably a prostitute. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to anoint his feet, etc. Here's the next lesson. God's goodness causes us to repent. This woman had heard how Jesus was merciful towards sinners. His goodness is what got her to repent of her sin. You know, I've seen this before. Here's a married couple, never go to church, really don't think about God at all. But then they have a baby. And they're so thrilled. This is such a miracle of life. God has been so good to them that they think, let's go to church. <laughs> the goodness of God can lead you to repentance. Verse 38, And she was wiping his feet with the hair of her head, kissing his feet, anointing his feet with the perfume. Here's the next lesson. It's good to get emotional over Jesus. Now, there, there are churches that are too emotional, and their, their Christianity is all emotion and jumping up and down, and it's all based on emotion and not based on Scripture. That's bad. But I'm a Lutheran. <laughs> Lutherans have the opposite problem. We're not emotional enough. Our, our Christianity tends to be very formal and refined, and we got to get over that. You know, I, my dad ran the horse race track in Omaha. And when I was a teenager, I was an usher at the racetrack. And I watched every single race, and I got bored by the whole thing. But when those horses would come around the bend toward the finish line, all the crowd would stand up, jump up and down, and scream till the horses got to the finish line. You know what? If people can get that excited about a horse, <laughs> we can get excited about Jesus. It's good to get emotional for the Lord. You know, I had a woman say once, well, Pastor Brock, it's hard for me to come to church now since my husband died because I just cry in church. And I said to her, that's a good thing. Keep coming. It's good to get emotional in church. Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw him, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Here's the next lesson. Do the right thing even if people grumble. I think Jesus knew that him letting her touch him would make these people grumble. He did it anyway. Let me ask you a question. Is there something that you believe God wants you to do and the reason you're not doing it is because you're afraid people will grumble? This verse teaches, do it anyway. <laughs> I got an email about a week ago Pastor Brock, I've been invited to a gay wedding. Do you think I should go? And I wrote her back and I said, here's what I would do. I would say to the person who invited me, look, I love you and always will love you, but I want you to spend eternity in heaven. 
And the Bible says if you go down that road and don't repent of homosexual behavior, you're not going to heaven. So out of love for you, I can't come to the wedding. Now, you know, if you do that, the person might grumble and get very angry. But if you did it in love and humbly, nobody can fault you. But, uh, but my point here is, let's not fear men. Let's fear God. Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. And Jesus said, A certain moneylender had two debtors. Next lesson. Tell stories. Jesus is going to tell a story here. <laughs> and sometimes I'll say to someone, You know, when I preached a week ago, what do you remember from that sermon? It's always the stories. So if you're a, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, a mom or a dad, a grandma or a grandpa, make sure you tell people stories. I mean, I've showed this on the air before, but I went to a garage sale and for a dollar I found Ingemeyer's Bible story book. When I was eight years old, this is the book mom would take out and read to us. I mean, I, I love these colored pages, and I just used to love this book. So many, many years later, I don't know whatever happened to our original book. Here I bought it back. And, and I want to tell you, if you're a mom or a dad, a grandma or a grandpa, buy a Bible storybook with lots of pictures. Give it to your kids. Give it to your grandkids. Read it to your kids. Read it to your grandkids. Make sure you tell your kids the great stories of God. Tell stories. Look at verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Here's the next lesson. You are in debt to Simon. <laughs> this verse talks about the universality of sin. Everybody is a sinner. And I don't think 50 means that Simon really only owes 50. He just thinks he does. Verse 42, and when they, the two debtors, they were both unable to repay. Here's the next lesson. The impossibility of paying. Ask a lot of people, you think you're going to heaven when you die? You'll get, oh, I think so. Uh, and why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I think I've been good. I think I've been a good person. I, I've paid. And this verse talks about it's impossible to pay your sin debt before God. I've been a pastor many years, and often every year for many years, we'd get a new crop of 12-year-olds for confirmation. And they'll come into the class, and the first thing I do, I don't say to them, Jesus died for your sins. They've heard that. That'll bore them. I get them scared first. I write the Ten Commandments on the blackboard. I show them how in thought, word, and deed, they have broken every one of the Ten Commandments, and they are in trouble before a holy God. And once they know they're sinners and that they deserve hell, then I say, but God did something to get you out of hell. He paid the sin debt that you could never pay. I mean, what is it now? It's, I think, $10, we'll say, to go to the movie theater. Let's say you and I want to go to the, the movies. You've got a quarter. I've got a dime. Which of us is getting into the theater? Neither, unless... 
Somebody comes along with $20 and pays our debt for us to get us into the theater. That's what Jesus did. He paid the sin debt, which is why it's impossible for us to pay it. If you don't understand that it's impossible for you to pay your sin debt, the cross will make no sense to you. Look at verse 42. When neither of them could, could repay, he graciously forgave them both. Here's the next lesson. We are saved by grace alone. Because we can't pay, he has to pay for us. He's on, on the cross. That's called grace. We're saved by grace. There's a story that many years ago, there was a shepherd in Scotland, and he would take his little girl into the fields, and he, she loved it when her father would give the shepherd's call, this very unique, loud yell, and that would make the sheep come in toward him. Well, she'd go out often in the fields, and she became a beautiful young woman, moved to the city, wrote her father regularly, then not so much, then totally stopped writing to her father. And he heard that she had been living in sin. Story goes that he, in his shepherd's clothing, he took a trip to the city, went from street to street looking for his daughter, but then he remembered how much she loved the shepherd's call. And he walked through the city making that loud noise. She happened to be in a house doing things she shouldn't in a certain area of the city. And she heard the call. The story goes that she ran out of the door, saw her father there. He ran up, threw his arms around his daughter, and he brought her home and loved her back to God. Do you know why we're saved? It's not because you paid or you were good enough. The reason we're saved by grace alone is we have a father whose heart was broken that we had fallen so much into sin and he sent his son to get us out of this world back to himself. We're saved by grace. Verse 42. He graciously forgave them both. Which of them, the two debtors therefore, will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Now this is a very important verse. Follow this, please. If you feel your love for God has grown cold, that verse will show you how to stoke your love for God again. Uh, two things will, will deepen your love for God according to verse 43. Number one, you know you owe 500, not 50. <laughs> you realize the, debt of your, the depth of your sin debt. And then the second thing that caused this woman to love God so much, you know God forgives you. And, and again, if your love for God has grown cold, I ask you to meditate on two things. Number one, think about how sinful you are for a while. And then number two, meditate on the fact that through Christ, God has really forgiven all your sins. That's what caused her to be emotional. I mean, I don't get all that emotional very often, but when I get tears in my eyes for God, <laughs> it's almost always because he forgives my sins. Look at verse 44. 
And turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. Now, let's stop there. Uh, Years ago, I made a discovery studying that very verse. I thought it meant her sins are forgiven for she loved much. In other words, the reason God forgave her is because she's such a loving person. That's not what this means. The word for can mean the cause. The word for can also mean the result. That's what this means. Did, did God forgive this woman because she was so loving? No. God forgave this woman, and the result of that was that she loved much. I hope you got that, because that was an important insight for me. So here's the lesson again. It's the same lesson we just had. Well, let's put it this way. Your love for God will increase when you know he has forgiven your sins. There's a gravestone in New York State. On the gravestone, no name, no date of birth, date of death, just one word. Forgiven. That's the Christian life. (laughs) Look at verse 47. But he who is forgiven little loves little. In other words, if you think you only need a little forgiveness, then you won't love God that much. If you know you need a lot of forgiveness and he does forgive you, you'll love God a lot. (laughs) Verse 48, And Jesus said to the woman, Your sins have been forgiven. I want us to talk now about the importance of absolution. Jesus pronounces the absolution here. You're forgiven. Now the question is, why does Jesus do that? Because the woman already knows she's forgiven. That's why she's so sloppy and emotional at his feet. So why does he say it again? It's kind of the question. I mean, if you go to a Lutheran church or a Catholic church or a an Episcopal church, and I think a Presbyterian church, they often have what they call confession absolution every Sunday, where you confess your sins as, as a congregation, and then the pastor pronounces the absolution, through Christ your sins are forgiven. Well, we, as Christians, we know our sins are forgiven. We know we're going to heaven. Why do I need to hear that again? <clears throat> why do I need communion? I already know I'm forgiven, so why do we? The reason is this. Our faith is always mixed with doubt. So Jesus says to this woman, your sins really are forgiven. And the reason I need to go to church, hear confession and absolution, the reason I need to take communion is to hear afresh, because my guilty conscience says you're no good. Who says you're going to heaven? God God can't forgive you. And then I need to hear the words of God, your sins have been forgiven. Martin Luther, writing 500 years ago, said these words. When we become aware of our sin and frightened by it, We must not allow the sin to remain on our conscience. This would only lead us to despair. We must put our sin back on Christ to free our conscience. So be careful you don't become like the misguided people who allow their sin to bite at them and eat at their hearts. They strive to rid themselves of the sin by running around doing good works, but you have a way to get rid of your sins. You throw your sins on Christ. You firmly believe that Christ's wounds and suffering carried and paid for all your sins. As Isaiah said, the Lord has laid on Christ all of our sins. As Peter says, 
Christ carried our sins in his body on the cross. You must rely on these promises and other verses with your whole heart. The more your conscience torments you, the more you must rely on these promises. For if you don't do this and try to quiet your conscience through your own efforts or sorrow or repentance, you will never find peace of mind. In other words, uh, the reason I love to go to church, the reason I love to take communion is because I, even though I have faith in Christ, it's mixed with doubt, I need to hear my sins are forgiven. That's, I think there's people who are at the bar or in mental wards or shopaholics or fill in the blank, and if they knew the forgiveness of their sins, they'd be free from things. Look at verse 49. And those who were reclining at table with Jesus began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Look at verse 50 there and answer this question. What happens when we have faith in Jesus? Two things. Number one, we are saved. And number two, we have peace. If you're watching this program, you know that you don't owe 50. You owe 500. You know you're a sinner. And you know that Christ died for you and you're trusting him for the forgiveness of sins. You'll be saved from that point on and you'll have peace. I, know an, I knew an old Christian, he's gone, gone to be with the Lord, but he got converted later in life. And I remember the day he told me, you know the one thing I got, Tom, when I came to Christ? Peace of mind. <laughs> and again, I, people don't know that's what they're looking for, that the absolution from Christ, but that's what they're looking for. Let me close with this. Many years ago, there was an Anglican missionary by the name of Mr. Watts Ditchfield. He was in England. He heard of a woman in the town who was a godless woman, so he thought he'd visit her one day. Uh, he knocks on the door, and she happened, this was many years ago, she happened to be over a big washing tin, washing her clothes in this big tub, and, and he said, good morning, uh, madam, and, uh, I'd, and I'd like to talk to you about the Lord, and he tries, and she says, oh, I, I don't need that. I accepted the Lord 20 years ago at a, an evangelist meeting. I've got it. N I don't need it anymore. Now, she hasn't been in church for 20 years. She doesn't think about God. But hey, I I'm fine. And the missionary said, Madam, how often do you wash those clothes? Oh, once a week. Well, what happens if for months you stopped washing the clothes? Oh, they get so dirty I couldn't wash them anymore or wear them anymore. And he said to her, how dirty must a human heart be that hasn't been washed for 20 years? And what I learned from this story is, I, if you don't have a good church, find a good Bible-preaching church. Go every week. Hear the, con, the absolution of your sins. Take Holy Communion to assure your heart your sins are forgiven. Let yourself be washed regularly because the secret to loving God is to know the depth of your sin, but more than that, the depth of his continual love and that he continually cleanses you through the blood of Christ our Lord. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, if a person is a Christian, but they often don't have peace. Is there something wrong with their faith? 
Well, you know, no Christian has perfect peace every single day. <laughs> we, we're normal, we're human, we get depressed, etc., etc. But there is a peace that comes from knowing Christ, that our sins are forgiven, that I know I'm going to heaven because of what he did for me. And that's the peace that if you don't have, if you don't know your sins are forgiven, if you don't know you're going to heaven because of Christ, that's something you need to talk out with with a Christian friend or a pastor because that that kind of peace God wants every Christian to have. Yep. Okay, Pastor Tom, can you explain confession versus absolution? Okay. I mean, yep. You what is it? Confess and then here, here's the word absolution means forgiveness, the pronunciation of forgiveness. So, Jackie. Uh, in Catholic churches, Lutheran churches, Episcopal churches, uh, I think Presbyterian churches, often right at the beginning of the service, the whole church confesses their sins, and then the pastor gets up and says, uh, I, as a called and ordained pastor, I announce to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's done kind of blanketly in some churches, but then sometimes you need a one-on-one, -on -one, and so you call up the pastor or the priest, or again, you can do this with a Christian friend and say, I need to confess my sins and talk about my sins. And then the person can assure you that through Christ, you're forgiven. Okay, you know, Pastor Tom, confessing my sins to God, you know, or to Jesus, I understand, but do you have to confess your sins to a priest no. or a minister? No, and, I, and, I, and I've said this before. James chapter 5 says, confess your sins to one another that you may be forgiven. And so in, in Protestant churches anyway, you can confess your sins to a dear friend who's a believer, and they can pray with you and announce to you the forgiveness of sins. Luther said, James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another. Luther said, strange priest, this one another. In other words, it doesn't have to be a priest, but it's still a healthy thing. If that's the way it's set up in your church, you know, I think it's a healthy sin, to, healthy practice to pr confess our sins. Okay. Can you explain the purity movement? Yes, That's in, been there, in the, there has been so much pornography in American culture, Jackie, that a lot of Christian men are stuck, and women now too. And so there's, there's been this purity movement where men in churches form little groups and they confess their sins to each other and they hold each other accountable. How did you do this week? Did you stay away from websites you shouldn't have gone to? Uh, did you do things physically this week? That were, and it, it's, uh, you know, Methodism, which was from the 1700s in England, John Wesley, they had what they called holiness groups. And, um, but now there's a, that's kind of starting up again in all kinds of denominations, is accountability groups. Okay, we've only got about five minutes left, and I guess they do have one 45 more 45 seconds, <laughs> okay, right. yeah. Can you recommend a good daily devotional book yes. for both adults and children? Good. There's something called Our Daily Bread that you can get. Uh, everybody Google it or whatever. It's called Our Daily Bread. It's wonderful. Not the Daily Word, which is a cult in uh, Missouri. You don't want da the Daily Word in your house. You want Our Daily Bread. It's great for adults and children. Just read one page a day to your kids or just to yourself as an adult. Okay. We got time for one more? Maybe? I don't think so. I think you better wrap her up. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God will be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? 
you may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by The Pastor Study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.